poop in the woods. I know, you picked a great day to be in church. Now, the reason I picked this topic is because this is a very sensitive topic in the camping community. In fact, people are all up in arms about whether one should poop in the woods or whether they should not, whether you should dig a hole and bury it, whether you should carry it out. So let's get into it. Do you know in Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 14, Scripture actually gives us wisdom on how to poop in the woods? I kid you not. Designate an area outside the camp is a latrine. And when you go there to relieve yourself, bring a spade you carry with your equipment and turn the soil over to cover it up when you're finished. Treat your camp as a sacred space because the eternal, your God, will be walking around in it. He travels with your army to bring you victory and defeat of your enemies. And if he saw something indecent, he'd leave the camp. In other words, make your camp holy as God is holy, for we are his holy children. Now, I find this interesting when we come across scripture verses like these. I bet you didn't know that that was in the Bible, did you? But when we come across these things, they give us kind of a parameter, but they don't really give us the absolute logistics. Certainly, we're going to go outside of the camp. Certainly, we're going to dig a hole. Certainly, we're going to cover it up, but it doesn't give all the logistics. And this is one of the challenges we have when we read scripture. I don't know if you know this, but you cannot read scripture without interpreting it. In fact, you have to interpret scripture. You cannot simply say scripture says without interpreting it. And so there are people right now that are interpreting it. And so here's some of the interpretations on how to poop in the woods. In order to have some privacy, your latrine should be about 100, maybe 200 yards away in a secluded area. It should not be any further than that because it could be easy to get lost during the dark. It's also a good idea to select a location downwind of your campsite. That's courteous. And so no unpleasant odors would creep back into your camp. Most importantly, the latrine should be not uh, within 200 yards of a water source so it doesn't contaminate the water. Now, the Bible doesn't say all those details, but certainly common sense would dictate that this would be a good idea to follow. The reason I bring this up is there's times we're going to read Scripture and we're going to have to use a little common sense. In fact, God designed that within us. That the God we serve is not a God simply based on laws and rules, but a God who is alive and well and living, both within us and around us. And his spirit that comes to dwell in those who have invited Christ in, allow us to discern and make decisions and interpret scripture. And so when we're interpreting what to do to build a latrine outside your camp, these might be some good logical things that aren't necessarily biblical but they make a lot of logical sense and they certainly go with the biblical idea that we want to have a camp or a house that's holy. I don't know about you, but I do not want to go to someone's house where poop is all over the floor. That's gross. And so there's some logic that we can put in place, but just because there's logic doesn't mean that we all agree on each other's logic. So there's a big debate. Do versus don't, dig a hole or pack it out, and here's what happens. Some people believe that whenever you go out camping, you should pack everything in and pack everything out. Don't leave anything behind. There's others that say, no, it's perfectly okay to follow these guidelines and go dig a latrine and do your business and bury it and leave it there and not haul it out. But there are some places that say, nope, the rules are the rules. You cannot do that here or you are accepted and allowed to do that here. See how confusing it is? Who would have thought pooping in the woods could be so confusing? But you know what? It's not just pooping in the woods. It's all sorts of things we look at in this world, right? So 
Here's the challenge I think I found within myself as I started thinking about this on a bigger scale. The reality is that we've trained ourselves to live in a world of convenience. If I want something, I go online to my phone, I, I open Amazon, and I click on the item, and it usually comes within a couple days. Can I tell you they sent me a message the other day that said it will not come in two days, it's going to come in four, and I was livid. Four days for them to dro- deliver that to my house, that's absurd. It's because I've trained myself to live in a world of convenience. I was noticing last night as we're having dinner and my youngest takes forever to eat dinner. I think she thinks it's a game, more like a marathon of just how long can she stretch it out. And my son and I are getting impatient. And so there comes a point where we finally just can't handle anymore and our ADD kicks in and we get up and we start washing dishes and cleaning up the kitchen. That's because we've trained ourselves to like convenience. Now, here's the funny thing. If it's convenient, that is, if it's to my advantage, then I perceive it as good, and I'll do it. But if it's not convenient, not to my advantage, then it's not good, and I'm not going to do it. And this is exactly how you and I interpret the world around us and often Scripture. You see, our faith is looked at through the same lens as our shopping experience. It's all about convenience. Now, I want to challenge us a little bit today that sometimes we're invited to do things that are not convenient, and there's a reason. It's not just for you and I. It's for the sake of others. In fact, the scriptures are all about talking to us about how God's love for the world, given through his son Jesus, now invested in the people that have accepted Christ into their lives, we become the hands and feet of Jesus, and therefore we should imitate that same character and nature of God and allow our own convenience to even be set aside for the love, acceptance, and grace of others. Boy, that sounds so good until it disrupts my life, and then all of a sudden I have a problem. It's where my theology stops and my humanness begins. And I'm willing to bet you struggle with it too. In fact, I guarantee it. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't like convenience. I like convenience. You know, I'm a United Methodist pastor, and it's interesting to look at our history and think of the convenience of horse riders. United Methodist elders, pastors that got on horses and rode around from community to community to share the word of God with a group of people, empower those people to then form a church and lead their own church, and then they would travel, and they might see them maybe in a week, maybe a month, maybe even multiple months. And I think, how inconvenient would that be to get on a horse and ride all over Ohio? And that's inconvenient. But in my truck, with a radio, air conditioning, windows that are electric and go up and down, a pretty good fuel range, man, that's convenience, baby. And I like it. Now, this is just a part of who we are, and Scripture knows this. God knows this. And so when he's talking to us about it, he's reminding us of stuff you and I probably are all really well aware of. But there's a reason he wants to show us this. And I want to give you the example of the story from this week. So whether you know this or not, we had a family in this church that showed up on Sunday. They have been vaccinated. They've done everything right. They follow all the rules and guidelines of the CDC and their business and place of work and whatever uh, business they frequent or visit. They follow those rules of whether they wear masks or not. And they still came down with COVID. 
In fact, we got a call at the beginning of this week saying, you'll never believe this, but turns out we're, we have COVID and we're sick. We were there on Sunday and we're worried that maybe we got other people sick. Now, we didn't know we had it then, but we know we have it now. And so I spent, you know, 24 hours concerned about this. How are we going to talk about it? How are we going to share it? What are we going to tell people? I don't want to scare people away. It's already hard enough to get people back in church. But the reality is there's still a pandemic going on. And our goal is to keep people safe and to keep the church open. And so we came up with this email, or I came up with this email that simply says, here are our rules. We're going to ask that when you come to church in the mall, you wear a mask. Whether you believe in the science or not, whether you want to argue who read the latest web page on, on whether we should or shouldn't, that's really not what it's about. What it's about is the heart of it, that it's not about convenience for you, but about the love of others. And so we're going to wear masks so that people feel safe. So as soon as I sent this email out, I got a response, and the response goes like this. Pastor Kevin, what would Jesus do? Shame on you, pastor, for following wicked, evil government unlawful mandates. Stand up and tell the truth. Now, I completely understand that this person has a view and they're upset by the masks. And you know what? I get upset by the masks too. Every time I see a mask, there's a, a part in me that just goes, aren't we through this yet? Do, do I have to? The other day I went to the local grocery store in our town and I walked all the way up to the front door and I had forgotten that they require a mask to enter and I had to go very inconveniently all the way back to my car to get my mask. But it's what we do. Now, I, I share this not to make fun of this person in any way, shape, or form. There are people in this church congregation that have this view and there are people that have the opposite view. What I want to tell you, though, is that you and I have an opportunity to interpret Scripture. So let me give you another example. I love this one. This comes from Leviticus chapter 13, 45 through 46. It says, anyone with a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkept so that everyone knows that they have an issue. They must cover the lower part of their face. That would be a mask over your mouth. And cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, the reason you have to interpret this is depending on what particular scripture you're looking at, right? We have Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic in the original languages of the Bible. Then we have the Septuagint, which was the Hebrew Bible rewritten in the modern-day Greek of that particular time so that their children who were living in captivity, growing up in a Greek culture, would be able to understand their heritage. The problem is we don't always have a word-for-word -word translation whenever we translate stuff, and so we have to make a decision. Let me give you my favorite example. The Bible has four words for love. We have one. They're very specific when they use the word love in a sentence to, to dictate whether this is a friendship love, a romantic love, a love for family, or a love that is unconditional and without restraint. But for me, I just say love. So when I say, hey, guys, I love my wife, you know what I'm talking about. But when I say, hey, you know what? I really love my truck. You know damn well that I'm not being romantic with the truck. Because there's some sort of understanding in our culture, in our language of how we use things. We've already made a decision to interpret when you hear those words out of my mouth. 
by looking at the subject of the sentence. So when we read things like this, there are people that will say, oh my gosh, see, Scripture says we should just mask up and do what's right. When people are sick, they probably should stay home and we should uh, push them away so that they don't infect the whole community. And then you'll have other people that will come in and say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're talking about leprosy and we're not dealing with that and that's not at all what this is about and these are priests and not doctors and this is a very strange, strange Scripture verse. But, but let me give you some, some insight to this because this is going to help us better understand where we're headed today for the rest of our time. In this particular scripture verse, the Levites, the priests, who are in charge of the community of Israel, are trying to look at what are the best ways in which we can honor God and honor the people. Jesus will later interpret that to all the laws, breaking down to two things. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. As they're trying to express that, they come up with an understanding that there are no fewer than 21 skin diseases and sicknesses in their specific time and in their specific camp. And so if you read through this entire chapter, you'll see that the priests are invited to take people that come with a skin condition and to set them aside and look at them and set them outside of the camp and kind of monitor them and see how they're doing for the one reason. If they're healthy and fine and everything works out, we bring them back and the community is whole again. But if they're not, then what we're doing is we're sparing the community from that infectious disease. I want you to hear the heart of this, though. The heart is not to kick anyone out of the community. The heart is always to redeem and bring people in. The heart is always to be the Israelite community that is such a force that when people come and interact with it, they go, wow, these people are different. They care about one another in a way that is just so radical from any other culture on earth. And so what we're invited to do is look at this and, and begin to interpret it and say, look, God's not saying wear a mask per se, but what he's saying is let's use some, some common logic. If you're sick, maybe you shouldn't be around people or maybe you should distance yourself a little bit. If you don't know if you're sick, but you think you might be, maybe you could use some logic. Earlier this week, I'm down getting my blood drawn for some uh, medical work. And the young lady is right in my face drawing my blood, and she goes, man, I feel so queasy. And I thought, oh, God, not here, not now. She goes, I just feel so sick. You know, my husband's been sick, and my kid's been sick, and I think I'm really getting sick today. I just feel awful. Now, I wish I could tell you that as a pastor, I looked at her and thought, oh, you poor dear. You poor thing. Let me get you a washcloth, and let me put it on your head, and let me make you feel better. No, what I thought is, what the heck are you doing in my space risking getting me sick and my family? Now, maybe you're better than me and you don't think that way. But that is exactly what I thought in that moment. Now, I'm not trying to judge her or beat her up. She may have bills to pay. There may be some weird circumstance in her life and she's trying to do the best she can. Or maybe she came to work not feeling sick and all of a sudden she started to feel sick. This is why scripture gives us logic to actually discern and interpret itself with. And you've been given a logic far greater than just the world standards. You've been given the Holy Spirit who, who lives within you that allows you to discern and make the best understanding of a situation and how it pertains to you and the greater community. And this is why we, we have tension between each other in our culture right now because everybody is trying to do what they believe is right. But we're all coming about it well, quite frankly, with the things we want, the conveniences we love, 
So what I find interesting is this Leviticus passage got posted all throughout the internet on social media all over. In fact, from August on, it was the highest Googled search on the internet. People wanted to understand, does the Bible really say these things? And do you know who was paying attention? Not the Christians, but those in the secular world who are wondering all about this Christ and this God and what is the Bible. And all of a sudden, things like this posted up. I wish people had posted Leviticus 13, 45 through 46 all over the internet when COVID first appeared. You're telling me that the Bible was pro-mask and pro-social distancing and it took you all a year and a half to bring it up? This is an unchurched person who has heard a lot of Christians arguing about why we should not be able to wear a mask, that our American freedoms are being taken away, and that it's all about us is what they hear. Instead of Christians saying, you know what, we may not agree with the government mandate, we may not appreciate masks, and we don't, we don't like this, but because of our fellow neighbor, because of the Christ who died for us, and because of the love of God and the love of our neighbor, we're going to do it anyway because we care about people. When we have that attitude, what happens is we have to give up something. We have to give up what we feel safe in. But what we gain are allowing other people to see that there is, in fact, a God who loves them and that we Christians represent that God in a way that actually makes sense and truly represents the God of the Bible. I don't know anybody that was on TV saying, I think masks are dumb and I hate the government and this and that that led people to Christ. I don't know anyone who did. But I know that there's a whole bunch of people in this community that simply by putting on the mask allows a whole door to open for me to share the love of Christ, to say, you know what, God loves you and I do too, and I'm going to put the mask on whether I agree or disagree because I want you to know you're loved. And even though this is inconvenient, it's such a simple thing, I'm going to do it. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to get vaccinated, and, and I'm going to do it because not only do I not want to get sick, but I would hate to think that I made someone else sick. Now, you may not know this either, but there's a family in this church that both the husband and the wife got COVID. And they got so sick, they were in the hospital for a little over a week. They were both on ventilators, and during that time, their 30-year-old son got sick and died. I don't know about you, but that is one hell of a thing to live with. And I don't want to live with that. And as a pastor who visits people in their homes and in their hospitals, whether I agree or disagree, I think it's a good thing to have a safety barrier. To say, I love you so much, I'm willing to do this. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm simply telling you how I came to this conclusion. But let's keep going because I think it gets even better. Sometimes we're invited to do things that are not convenient for the sake of others. As I was wrestling with this lady's response to the email and praying and just being mad, because sometimes you just have to be mad, this scripture verse popped into my mind. Maybe you've read it before. You'll find it in, in Matthew chapter 5 at the end of the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are an amazing section of scripture where Jesus is communicating to a group of people, both Jews and non about what the kingdom of heaven is like and how you and I should begin representing it here on earth. That everything you and I do becomes a mirror or an image or a shadow of what's to come. And so as people look at us, they can't help but see a direct connection to God. And so if we're being jerks, they think God is a jerk. And if we're being loving, 
they say, well, there's something about that God that is loving or accepting. Regardless, this is the verse that came into my head as I'm sitting on my porch frustrated. And it's this. If anyone faces you to go one, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus. Now, I share that with you because I, I want to share with you this other part. Now, you may not know this, but Cyrus the Great was somebody that pulled apart all of Syria and began building an empire so big and so vast that he couldn't figure out how to communicate with all the local governors. And so he came up with what we would describe today as the first mail system, where mail carriers would carry mail from one city to another and correspondence could happen. It's as if the internet came to the ancient world. But as they would go from town to town, their sacks, their bags, their horses, whatever they were bringing all this stuff with just got overloaded. And so a law was passed at this particular time that required any postal worker to have the power and authority to put into employment any person they came across to walk with them carrying the goods, the packages, the mail for one mile by law. If you did not, you would be held responsible and you would be put in jail or perhaps flogged. Now, this idea was so great and helped the mail move all through this area that later on when the Romans come into power, they pick up the same idea and say, what an awesome idea. Let's continue that. Only let's pass it on to our soldiers too. As the soldiers are walking around, each one is carrying a pack that weighs 66 pounds. And so a law goes into effect in ancient Rome sometime around the time of Jesus where any person that a Roman comes across, a soldier comes across, he can mandate they carry his pack one mile, 66 pounds. Now the particular Jewish culture we're talking about, the one that the Romans took over and were now lording over, the one that Jesus is speaking to in this particular passage is so interesting to me because every Jew knew that it wasn't one mile, it was two. Because for every mile you walked out of your way, you had to then walk back an entire mile. And you want to talk about inconvenient. That is inconvenient. To drop everything you have. To be forced by a soldier who could put you in jail or hurt you by law if you didn't comply. Sounds like a mandate, doesn't it? Now what Jesus says, he says, look, you guys already know that. In fact, he actually says something even, even better. Let me read it to you. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Let me back up into verse 38. You've heard that it's said, Jesus says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's interesting because that actually comes from a guy named Humurabi who came up with one of the first sets of laws for his entire nation. And the laws were based on this single idea that we are going to protect the weak and the innocent. It's actually the same laws that have been put into place all throughout our culture, and they're the basis of the laws you and I live under now in this country, that the laws are there to protect the weak and the innocent. Now, you and I both know it doesn't always work that way, but the spirit of the law was to do just that. And so when Jesus makes this comment, he's making a comment to the people that would know these laws just like you and I would know them. We, we've heard that before. A 
tooth for a tooth and eye for an eye. In other words, when somebody harms you, you harm them back the same amount. Or in the American culture, you harm them back even more. Now Jesus turns the corner here and he says, but I tell you, don't ever resist an evil person. You know, whoever slaps you on the cheek, who embarrasses you, who hurts you, who threatens to take away your freedoms, you know, just turn to them the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic or your belongings, go ahead and give him extra. Give him your coat. Give him your belongings. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks, and for him who wants, and borrow, to borrow something, never turn away. What Jesus is doing is he's taking the entire culture as they know it, and he's flipping it upside down, and I think it's a great reminder for us today. As I'm fuming and being upset about this lady, Jesus is convicting my heart that, Kevin, you don't even do this. So back to the Jewish culture. A Roman soldier comes up to you and says, hey, carry my pack for one mile. Drop everything you're doing. I don't care if you're on your way carrying Starbucks to work. You put it down right there. You pick up my pack, and we're going this direction for one mile. And Jesus says, wouldn't it be radical? Jesus never says it's right or okay. He just says, wouldn't it be radical? If once you got to that one-mile point and the person said, all right, you can put the pack down now, you're free to go. If you said, no, you know what, sir? I'd like to take it one more mile for you. Can I do that? Can I, can I do this for you? What do you think that soldier would say? I think he'd be a lot like that guy that commented on the Leviticus passage. I had no idea that your Bible said this. Wait, why are you walking with me for a mile? Well, sir, I, I want to tell you the truth. I met this amazing man named Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, and he's teaching us how to be like God. Not to be holy, as in we're better than everyone, but, but to be holy and set apart, to show the world how we should live. That we should love God and love others. And so, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this law. I hate that you made me do this. My coffee's getting cold back there, and I've got to walk a whole mile back. But you know what? I want to show you something. I want to show you that what Jesus teaches is, is so impactful in my life that I'm, I would like to walk with you another mile. Now, I'm willing to bet that when you're walking on a road for a mile with a 66-pound pack, it's probably a slow walk. And I'm willing to bet that nobody had phones or tablets or the radio. And so you probably talked to pass the time. And I'm willing to bet that that soldier probably has a lot of questions like, why on earth would you want to do this? Why would you do it for me? And I think when we have that attitude, we open up an opportunity for us to share Christ with people in a way that is so radical, we really do get to see miracles and lives changed. And people will tell me, I don't see any miracles, Pastor, and I'll say it's probably because we're too focused on our own convenience. There's a, a man in this church that I just love dearly. His name's Alan Curtis, and he just recently retired, but when he was working, he would drive to work an hour early. 
And I thought, oh, are you just getting there early so you could get set up and ready for work? He goes, no, I would drive an hour early because I'd always see these cars on the side of the road with problems. Flat tire, out of gas. And I always felt bad when I'd pass them. So I just thought, you know what, if I put an extra hour in that drive, I can actually stop and maybe help somebody. Man, that's radical. That, that's not going one mile, that's going the extra mile. I just can't help but think how you and I can change the world through such little things if we just simply thought about how do we love God and how do we love others. How do we recognize that we're addicted to our own convenience and, and how do we allow ourselves to have some freedom in that? So I, I'm going to tell you what I did. I thought about responding in an email to this particular woman and, and, and just laying out for her my, my plea and my desire and what I want her to understand about me and my decision and why I think this is important for us as a community so that we can protect others and we can keep the church open and going because people need a place to find hope. But then I thought, you know what? That's really about me and my convenience and what I'm trying to get across to her. It's really about me instead of just loving her the way God would love her. Right after Jesus says, don't just walk a mile, walk a second, he says these words. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, let's change that thought. Let's love our enemies and bless those who curse us and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who are spiteful and they use their presence to persecute you. The reason you do that is so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise and fall on evil and good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Man, everybody does that. But if you greet your brethren only, but you don't do anything for others, then are you really a follower of Christ? It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength to love God and to love others, especially when they seem like they're your enemies, or they have a different value than you, or they believe something different than you. But we are called to go the extra mile, to look for ways that we can engage one another, that as you and I interpret Scripture, we interpret it with this lens of how to love God and how to love others. And when we do so, we open ourselves and the world up for miracles we can change lives if we're simply willing to step out of our own comfort zone our own convenience and meet people where they're at I appreciate your willingness to wear a mask in this space and I respect that you have a different view and I respect that you may not even think it's right but I appreciate that you're willing to love others so much the way Christ loves them that you're willing to do that that's what makes you an incredible person. And that's what's going to change this world.